The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, stop watching that recording of Caesars 24-7 and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Jeff Maciolik, here to announce show number 165 with guest Nick Landry, recorded live Sunday, February 26, 2006. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net training developers to work smarter, and now offering the Visual Basic 2005 Masterclass and the ASP.NET 2.0 Masterclass with new dates in New London, Connecticut, online at www.franklins.net. And by Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET web applications, online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers, online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who's looking for a better place to park his sling box, Carl Franklin! Thank you, thank you very much. This is Carl, you're listening to uh, .NET Rocks. I'm here in New London, Connecticut, as I am every week, usually. And uh, my host out there in Vancouver, site of the 2010 Winter Olympics, Richard Campbell. How are you? Very well. Had a great Olympics this year. 24 medals for Canada. Ah, shut up. <laughs> hey, both our hockey teams were blown out. Yeah. Well. It was a disaster. That's not good. Nope. How you been? I'm I'm good. I mean, we've been enjoying the Olympics and uh, working hard. Uh, it's it's a good time. I'm, the conferences are starting to line up for the spring. So uh, Dev Teach and uh, PDC or SDC and uh, Connections. Yeah, lots of shows. De- don't forget Dev Connections. Our friends. Don't down forget there. Dev Connections. Looking forward to the Netherlands too. Uh, SD. Uh, yeah. That's gonna be fun. The SDC show will be a lot of fun. Hey, you know, uh, we have been very busy here since January uh, 1st at Pwop Productions, producing two new shows a week. Those would be DNR TV and Hansel Minutes. Hansel Minutes uh, is a an, an half-hour talk with Scott Hanselman, our friend, and we do that every week. You can check that out at HanselMinutes.com. And uh, he always has great stuff. If you remember any of the times Scott has been on .NET Rocks, he always brings a lot of practical utilitarian knowledge so we've done and fast too really fast yeah great stuff so uh he's got his own show also we started doing a camtasia screen cam show called dnr tv now uh it started out that it was kind of big and hard to download but we've sort of perfected the process now we're getting the uh downloads at just about 80 megabytes 80 90 megabytes even less so that's perfect. Uh, you can download it. You can watch it in Media Player. Or if you prefer the Flash version, you can watch online. You can just play, say, click now and watch here. And you get this 1024 by 768 Flash version, which is very small, um, right in the browser. And, and you can you know move around random access. It's kind of nice. So DNR TV has, been, has gone over uh, very well. But uh, we just wanted to do a little cross-promotion make people aware of it. To that effect, we got some email. Uh, The first email from Anthony Borton. Hi, Carl and Richard. Let me start by saying that I love your show and try to listen every week. I often have to drive from Brisbane, Australia, down to the Gold Coast, and the trip is usually just long enough to get a full episode in. 
I usually have it synced onto my iMate Jam PDA. Hey, you have one of those, don't you? Yes, I do. And I use an FM transmitter so I can listen through the stereo in the car. I have a quick question for you. In one of the offices I work in, their corporate security policy and firewall prevent most of their developers from accessing your site to download or stream your shows. I've been setting up a server inside their organization that includes Windows streaming media services, and I would like to place a copy of your shows on this server so they can listen to them. One of their developers, with permissions, can add each can then add each new show by uploading it to the server each week. Before I suggest this, can you tell me if this is appropriate use of the files? I'm eager to ensure I don't breach any copyright restrictions by storing a copy of your work on the server. I look forward to your reply. Thanks and keep up the great work, Anthony Borton. Anthony, I think Richard and I can both say this at the same time. Go ahead, man. Do it. Yeah, go crazy. Knock Share yourself it with out. everybody. You didn't buy it, so just pass it around. These yeah, are, you bet. Yeah. In fact, we encourage this, and um, we encourage you sending this, passing it around to as many other developers as you possibly can. In fact, Richard, this would be a good time to tell everybody about what we're planning to do in that regard. Because, you know, our advertising rates are based on how many people listen to the show. And from the downloads, you know, stuff like this is going on all the time. People are sharing the shows back at the office. The downloads don't always tell us the whole story. So we decided to uh, set up a census. Basically, we want people to come to our website and tell us how many people they share the show with in this regard. Uh, And that way we can get a more accurate count. Now, obviously, that's kind of a a pain for people to do, right? So we have to give them some incentive to go there and do this. So what are we going to do, Richard? Well, you know, I'm the toy guy, so I always have the good view on what people would probably appreciate as a piece of technology yeah. as a reward. Now, we could give away mugs, and then everybody could get one, but that's no fun. That's I think no we fun. should give away something big. Yeah, so we'll put and, your name in a pool and pick out uh, a winner for something big. So what I think, I think what we ought to do, Richard, is give away one of those big 24-inch Dell monitors, LCD absolutely. monitors. The thing that's great about this monitor is it's one of those things that people just won't buy for themselves normally. Yeah, it's it's too a decadent. little obnoxious. But it'll run on almost any video card, so you don't need any specialty gear. And once you've worked in 1920 by 1200, baby, there's no going back. So I know people are going to say, okay, I want to get my chances in here. Uh, just hold on to your hats. We're, we're still putting the website together. So, But we will have that soon. And just for going uh, – we also should mention here, Richard – that there is no correlation between the number of people that you share it with and your chances of winning, right? That's so, right. One entry per person. That's all. Thanks very much. Just by coming to the website and telling us how many people you share it with, doesn't matter how many that is, you have a chance to win. So there we go. We have another email. This one was from uh, Dave Elliott from Kirkland, Washington. And he says, Dear Carl, DNR TV is an incredible learning resource. I paid over $1,000 for training, a complete waste. The material I've seen on DNR TV is far superior. One feature I would like to see is downloadable demo code used in the show. For example, can I get the demo project I saw Brian Noyes using in the latest data binding in .NET 2.0 show? Also, a forum associated with each show would be helpful where viewers can post questions, comments about the technology demonstrated. Uh, these are Dave. These are great uh, suggestions, and we will definitely do this as soon as we have the bandwidth to do so. And I don't mean, you know, I don't mean download bits per bandwidth. Second. We're talking brain bandwidth here. Yeah, time and and effort. That's all. All right. So let's get on with the show. Our good friend Nicholas Landry is a senior .NET architect and trainer in New York for Infusion Development Corp a Microsoft Gold partner which offers quality software development services, developer training, and consulting services for large financial firms in the New York and Toronto areas. Known for his dynamic and egotist, uh, I mean, engaging style, he is a <laughs> frequent speaker at major software development conferences worldwide, a member of the MSDN Canada Speakers Bureau, a Microsoft MVP on the .NET Compact Framework, and a former Microsoft Regional Director in Montreal. 
He also sits on the board of directors at IASA New York and is a founding member of the WWISA. I imagine that is some sort of software association he'll tell us about. His primary goal is to help businesses connect their information, systems, and people together in a seamless integration to achieve complete enterprise agility. Aside from his work in designing business solution architectures using .NET technologies, Nick provides mentoring services in architecture, design, and .NET development, authors and teaches .NET classes, performs system audits, and pro... Do I have to read all this? (laughs) You do a lot of shit, man. You do a lot. He's a busy boy. He's a busy boy. How you doing, man? I'm doing great, Carl and Richard. How you doing, guys? It's good to have you back on the show. It is good to be back. I, I was starting to wonder because, you know, I was one of the early, I was, I would guess, pioneers by uh, being on show number 12 in 2002. And then I don't get an invite for three years. Now you're just insecure. So I started to wonder, like, what did I do? Nobody loves me. Well, there is that, but you're just a little insecure. That's all. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, considering they had to record that show twice, I don't think we had the time to do it again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Now that's really not true. It's you know we just really haven't done uh, much in the way of mobility. Um, you know, uh, and to be honest, mobility has kind of been dormant for the last couple of years. With uh, until the release of this new Mobility Five, you know, there really hasn't been a lot of, uh, shall we say, uh, you know, improvement in the technologies. Uh, well, well, we can discuss that over because I'm not sure I entirely agree. All right, good. Well, maybe you'll educate us. So, so we are going to be talking about mobility this hour. And uh, you, as everybody knows, is the you are the the gadget guy, the mobility king. What uh, what are you yeah. uh, what are you working with these days? Um, these days, actually, my new baby is the new Palm Trail 700W, which is the very first Palm device on the market to use Windows Mobile Five. Yeah. So I don't know about you, but last um, September, when there was that big press release between Microsoft and Palm, and they said that there would be. A Windows Mobile Palm device, I I never thought I'd see the day. Yeah. I, I always hated Palm. I never wanted to use like use it because of the OS, not the device itself. Right. And now, sure enough, my favorite device is the Palm. So Palm, I guess, just decided they didn't want to be in the OS business so much anymore, right? And they just decided to partner with Verizon and Microsoft to make this device. Is that what happened? The, well, yeah, they, they partnered with Microsoft to make this device. Also, what you have to know is that uh, Palm sold the Palm um, OS itself to some Japanese company. I don't remember the name. So Palm itself does not even have an operating system anymore. Right. So does that mean that other de- Palm devices are not going to be running like Palm OS anymore? Um, I don't know. And to tell you honestly, frankly, I don't care. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> all I care about is the Windows mobile version. And uh, the Verizon part in this is that um, they've struck a deal with Verizon so that they get exclusive um, access, they get exclusive sales on the Palm Trail 700W for, if I remember, six months or something like that. Which means that for all the people out there asking, is there going to be a version with Sprint? Is there going to be a GSM version with Singular or um, T-Mobile or any other carrier out there in Canada? Um, Well, right now it's Verizon only. And for the rest of the world as well, because there is, as far as I know, there's no plans to have a uh, a GSM version just yet. So, Nick, I know Richard is jumping to get in here because um, he's a mobility guy and a toy boy. But before he does, let me ask you, I have the Samsung i730 phone, which has a lot of the same features. You know, it's got the, the pop-down keypad. It's got EVDO, Verizon's high-speed internet. It has Bluetooth, it has Wi-Fi, it has, you know, the, the phone, the pocket PC phone edition. Um, what, and I know that's very comparable to what the Treo has. What, and, and I guess the, you can get it for about anywhere from 350 with a plan to 500 and something without a plan. What is the uh, Treo cost? And what are the features? Uh, it, it's around the same price, like 300-something around that era, that, that ballpark, if you sign it with a one-year or two-year plan. And, and does it have the same features? I mean, what, are there any more features that it has that Samsung doesn't have? Well, the, the first thing that people love about the Palm Trail is the form factor itself. Because it, 
it's actually much closer to, to a phone in form factor than the, the Samsung because the Samsung really looks like a pocket PC. It's got the bigger screen on it. The keyboard has to slide out. And uh, it, it doesn't feel like a phone when you hold it to your ear. To, to it's kind of like a BlackBerry, uh, right? Because it's got that the keypad right on the bottom. But I also know that it's got a square screen, which is a non-standard screen size. And well, some applications don't like that. Is that true? That's true. Some existing applications don't like that. But with Windows Mobile 5, Microsoft has actually steered away from the standard 240 by 320 screen. So mm. now you, you're going to see a lot more uh, applications that will support like the square 240 by 240 screen and even things like the 640 by 480 of the Jazz Jar yeah. or other devices like that. But but the reality is that some old mach- uh, some old programs might not work correctly. Yeah, they might not work correctly or you'll get a scroll bar, yeah, scroll bar. on them. But right now, the, the hot device on the market is the Trail because this is the one that's generating the most buzz. This is a device also that people recognize. Because people see Palm devices everywhere. So whenever they see this one, they, I don't know, they identify with it. Yeah, I, I think it was they, a brilliant move. I mean, that, you know, that there's always going to be the Palm anti-Microsoft crowd, right? That's That got a Palm because they didn't want a pocket PC. Yeah. But the, the brand Palm is very strong. So, you know, it does. It, it is. Yeah. And I'm actually glad it came along because... Palm has always made great devices, but I'm sorry, they're just not great in operating system development. Well, and they're not program- as programmable. I mean, as easy yeah, to it's program. it's not about the operating system so much as it is about the programming environment. How tough is it to write code for Palm? And Palm's always been a C programming environment. C++, yeah. Yeah, tough way to do development. Yeah, and, and just that's a very good point, and this is all true. And the main reason why this happened is because of the initial design goals of Windows C and Windows Mobile versus Palm. When you look at the Palm OS and the Palm devices, the uh, the first design goals for this was that they did not want to recreate the PC environment. They did not yeah. want to have a mobile computer. It was essentially growing up from the electronic organizers era, and then they were adding uh, three essential features to it. The, the first feature was, of course, syncing your, your inbox and your, uh, your contacts with your computer. Yeah. And then they were also adding the, uh, the, the letter recognizer at the bottom, you know, so you could use a stylus right. to, to drive it this way. And then also the form factor itself was to be much smaller and, um, low cost. So for this, they only put like the minimum set of services in the operating system to make sure that it would be able to service that. But as the mobility market evolved, uh, companies realized, hey, you know what? This is a computer. We can write applications for this. We can extend our enterprise applications and systems, reach out to our mobile users. And that's what Microsoft understood. They figured we have to actually reproduce the PC environment, but on a smaller form factor. Because Windows CE is actually based on the Windows NT kernel yeah. back in 1996. It was actually derived from it, the NT kernel, 32-bit preemptive multitasking with, uh, for real time as well. And that's why Windows mobile devices have always been more expensive because the operating system gives you a lot more, therefore requiring more hardware to run. But over time, people wanted to get color devices, more services, more power. So Palm has been slapping more and more services in their operating system, requiring the same hardware in the end. But, I mean, it's very hard to beat Microsoft at their own game. I mean, Microsoft is an operating system sure. company. And I get the feeling so, you're preaching to the choir here, right? You know, our listeners well, are... yes, but I also want to make a fair comparison because when people compare Palm OS to Windows Mobile, it's actually not a fair comparison. Because one was not meant to be an enterprise operating system for mobility. Yeah. So that's why I think Palm realized the market is there. This is where the future is going. People want to build mobility extensions to their enterprise scenarios. Sure. And therefore, they had to ditch the old OS. So, so we've, uh, we've covered uh, mobility in .NET 1.1. Um, I guess the in .NET 2.0, Mobility 5 is what it's all about, and we really haven't talked about that. The only place we've talked about it is, frankly, on our, on our road show, where uh, Richard did a, a, a quite a great uh, in-depth presentation, which I know you had something to do with. Well, I actually saw the, uh, the, the presentation that Richard did in New York when you guys uh, stopped by my hometown now. Well, right. when I say hometown, because this is where I, my home is now. But you had something to do with that presentation, didn't you? The material that, that Richard uh, presented? 
Uh, the there was part of it uh, because we uh, at Infusion we actually developed courseware for Microsoft among other things, mm -hmm. and uh, I wrote uh, three courseware, three uh, sets of courseware for Microsoft on a Compact Framework on uh, an introduction to Compact Framework. There's a one day class, there's a two day class with hands on labs, and there's also a three day uh, line of business uh, development for mobility cool. class, all on Compact Framework too. And a lot of that content was based on that. Cool. So let's talk about Mobility 5, man. Okay, well, uh, first of all, uh, one of the big problems in the Microsoft Mobility world is that the terms can get very confusing. And you're not right. helping here because you're using the wrong ones. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, the operating system itself now is known as Windows Mobile. Windows Mobile is based on the Windows C operating system. And it is essentially a specification for both software and hardware for specific form factors, mainly enterprise devices like pocket PCs and smartphones. Okay. Windows CE itself is still around, but it's as as an operating system on its own, it's mainly for more niche scenarios. If you want to customize it for like a, a dishwasher or an industrial robot right. or some things like that. Um, when you talk about enterprise mobility, which is pretty much what we cover on the show here, uh, Windows Mobile is the proper term that we use for Windows it. Windows Mobile. Be yeah, Windows Mobile, and uh, it's the version 5 now that is the, the hot one, because Windows Mobile 5 is based on Windows CE 5. Whereas the older versions, like uh, Windows Mobile 2003, were based on Windows CE 4.2. So that's one of the big differences there. Good. The fact that we had a jump in operating system on the underlying platform. So, and, and .NET 2.0 embraces Windows Mobile 5. Is that the way to say it? Uh, yes, it embraces it, but it also, uh, win, uh, Compact Framework 2.0 also runs on Windows Mobile 2003. All right, so so this is, now we have another term. So, Compact Framework 2.0 and yeah. Windows Mobile 5.0. Can you separate those for us? Okay, no problem. Um, well, you know the .NET Framework. Okay, sure. I think all your listeners know about a .NET framework. Sure. In in 2002, Microsoft did a lot of work um, on the on the Compact Framework to essentially build a light version of .NET. We actually discussed that on uh, in episode 12 together because right. back then it was still in beta. Right. And it was released with .NET 1.1. So Compact Framework 1.0 was released at the same time as .NET 1.1 in Visual Studio 2003. So you would say the and Compact that, Framework is a managed code implementation of Win the Windows Mobile around Windows Mobile 5.0. Is that uh, right? No. No, it, Compact Framework is uh, the managed code environment for mobile devices. That's what it is. It is a version of .NET adapted specifically for Windows Mobile and Windows CE. And the cool thing with it is that you get the same environment. You get a CLR, you get just-in-time compilation, you get your IL code, and you get memory management and garbage collection and exception handling, and you also get a base class library and C Sharp and, and VB.net. Okay, I guess what I was trying to say was that mobile's, mobile 5.0 exists separate from .NET. Definitely, yes. yes. Because Windows Mobile, uh, think of it as the operating system versus the development I environment. So Compact Framework is the development platform and also for execution, for managed code. Windows Mobile 5.0 is the operating platform, the, the operating system itself. It. And where it gets a little confusing is because they have also released an SDK for Windows Mobile 5.0 because the Compact Framework itself is a subset of the full framework. In terms of the base class library, you get about 28% of the functionality of mm -hmm. .NET. But the cool thing is that it fits all in 8% of the size. Yeah, yeah. And, but the thing is, the Compact Framework is just a shrunk-down version of .NET. They did not really add extra functionality except a few things like for uh, SQL Mobile Database and uh, Infrared. But other than that, it's just a subset of the full framework. Does it also have access to the full... API of Windows Mobile 5.0. Well, yes, but not in Compact Framework natively. That's where you get the need SDK. Okay. 
So the Windows Mobile 5.0 SDK, there's one for pocket PC and there's one for smartphone. What it gives you is a new set of namespaces and managed classes that you can use to build managed applications that run specifically on Windows Mobile 5. Okay. And these can be used with both, by the way. This SDK can be used with both Compact Framework 1 and 2. Okay. Now, does does uh, Visual Studio 2005 out of the box have these SDKs installed? Uh, no, you have to download it. The SDK is about 180 megabytes. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's a, it's a separate download. It's free. The easiest way to get it is just to go on MSDN online, go to the Mobility Developer Center, and then from there, you've got different sections on Compact Framework, Windows Mobile, SQL Mobile, Tablet PC, and so on, and you can find all these downloads all right, there. All right, we'll provide a link to that. Yeah, definitely, that'd be a good idea. So two different SDKs, one for, for PDAs and one for smartphones. I think there was another piece. Uh, you need ActiveSync as well. Uh, yeah, ActiveSync is the software that you use to synchronize your desktop with your device. And that should come but, with your phone. That should come with your device. I mean, if it's a phone anyway. Yeah, every time you PC. buy a device, it's on the CD. The latest version right now is ActiveSync 4.1. And uh, what a lot of people don't know is that ActiveSync also has a, um, well, a server version, if you will. It's not really a server version in that it's on the client itself that it changes. So whenever you configure your device or on your desktop, for things like inbox, uh, email, for calendar, and for contacts, and for tasks, you can specify if you want to sync with a desktop or sync with the server. Yeah. So when you sync with the desktop, that's the experience that most people are familiar with. You connect with your desktop, it opens Outlook, runs it, and synchronizes everything with your device. Now, Nick, if you s- Nick, yeah. before we get into the to the features, which I'm dying to get into, I I, <laughs> I hear the voice of the listener out there who's who may be uh, working on Windows applications at their at their current place of employment? They may be working on a big system, and you know the management has is not considered using mobility for anything. Uh, you know, and a developer is obviously saying, "Damn, this sounds really cool. I w- I wish we could use this. You know, I wish I could go to my boss and justify somehow the use of mobility, so I could get one of these devices, get programming it, and." And, you know, so I guess the question is, you know, what are the kinds of things that people aren't necessarily thinking about in terms of where mobility fits into an enterprise application? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, First of all, so if you have developers out there that want to work on cool projects and that involve mobility and all these things, um, well, first of all, they can give me a call. I'll give them a job because we need good people. (laughs) And I'm not kidding, by the way. <laughs> What's the phone number they should call, Nick? <laughs> infusiondev.com. Right. Infusiondev.com. You can also check my blog as well. Activenick.infusionblogs.com. Right, so there you go. That was the plug. That'll be 10 okay. grand. I'll bill you. Yeah, all right. Though, no, the, <laughs> the other thing is that, first of all, mobility, the problem is that a lot of people think that it's it's just like a bunch of toys. Right. They don't really see them as serious applications, but just think of it. Look at the pocket PC devices you have today. Most of the devices that I have, like if I look, for example, at my IMA Jazz Jar, or even devices like the um, the Palm uh, Trail or the latest uh, pocket PCs from uh, HP and others, you have as much power in these devices and memory as I had on my development workstation in 97 and 98. Yeah. So a lot of people get fooled by the form factor. And that's the big problem here because they they think it's just a toy. They think it's just for email and calendar and little games playing solitaire, you know, when you're waiting for the subway or something like that. But you get the full power of a computer. You've got a, a processor in there that's going to be 3, 4, even 600 megahertz, 32-bit. And uh, you also get like a memory like 64 megs or 128 megs of memory with SD cards and compact flashcards and mini SDs, you can easily get a gig or two of storage on these devices. So that can be a pretty big database. So, but besides the feature, it's very important to remember that if if you're building an application, you need to have a need for it. So you can't just fabricate a need out of thin air. So if your company only deals with people that are in-house, that are sitting at a desk, um, sometimes there might not be a mobility scenario. Well, you know, the... There's there's always the possibility that there could be a mobility scenario. They just haven't thought of it yet. 
You know that's, what I mean? That, and that's exactly it. That's where you need to take a step back and look at your business and look at the gaps. Because remember that when um, Microsoft was founded, Bill Gates has this big statement. You know, he said he wanted to have a computer on every desk and in every home. And uh, we don't really talk about that today because, first of all, uh, not only is it true, but it's also not enough. Yeah. Because between your desk and between your home, there's are, there are big gaps where you have people that work and they don't have a desk. Even people that have a desk sometimes might be stuck in meetings. So, for example, look at any scenario where you need the approval of someone to go ahead with something, whether it's approval of a quote for a purchase order or approval of... Um, like a, a proposal before you can start work or on something or a, a sale for a client or th- something like that. Every time you need an approval process, of course, it always requires people in management for this to give the final go ahead. But these people are usually the less reachable people. It's proven that the higher up you are in a company, the less reachable you yeah. are because you're often in meetings, you're often with clients, with partners, you're out of the office, you're on business trips. And yet, if approvals depend on you, you can slow down the whole business here. Right. So sometimes just giving them a very small application where they can have a pocket PC or even a smartphone and they get an alert that gives them the rundown of the final numbers because usually people get like 15-page documents, but they always flip to the last one where they want to see the chart of costs and the schedule. And they've already read the document. They know it's good. We just went through a few rounds on the proposal for the schedule and for the cost. And whenever they need to give the final approval, that's all the numbers they need. So get them an alert on their device, not an email. Like send them something where they can see all the information in the application. And then they just have two buttons like uh, standby, like review later or approve. Go ahead. Right away, you can save hours every time or even days sometimes if someone is traveling and they're uh, you know at the airport and you can't reach them on their cell phone or something like that well it's uh it's a very good way sometimes to bring some people back in the loop whenever there's some downtime because of client meetings and because of uh of travel for example i mean just look at i hate to mention the word but just look at blackberries right. today oh you said the b okay, word blackberries we have to give it yeah, the B word. That's okay. They're, they're not doing so great right now because they're in big trouble. So um, Blackberries, if you look at them today, th- there's three features that they do great. There's the push email, of course. The, there's the battery life on those devices. And there's the keyboard yeah. that's on them. But the main thing is the push email. You see people that they are in meetings everywhere. They talk to people and then you see the Blackberry vibrate. And then you can see their expression f- change <laughs> on their face. Like right away. No, it's true. I, you're sitting at your desk. I have you're a story for you, like man. Dozens I have a story. I was at the Department of Motor Vehicles moving the VB.net license plates over to my new Prius. And I'm sitting there waiting, you know, as you do at the Department of Motor Vehicles. You wait for your number to come up. And I was sitting there chatting with my brother on uh, Instant Messenger. And I, you ever get the feeling that somebody is staring at you? even though you can't see them. It's an uncanny (laughs) thing that humans have, this ability to detect when somebody is looking at them. And I don't know what it is. But anyway, I turn around and there's this dude looking at me and I realize that I've got this big smile on my face that I'm laughing because, you know, we're we're chatting and stuff and, uh, uh, you know, and telling jokes and things. And uh, yeah, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. And and when someone receives an email, I mean, someone with a BlackBerry, I mean, you can get dozens of emails every hour and ignore them. But just the fact that you're getting it on your little device on your belt, you could have a, a timed 10 right. minute audience with the president <laughs> of the United States. And if you get an email, you will have this irresistible yeah. urge to check it. I don't necessarily know that that kind of connectivity it's is true. that good. But you know, BlackBerry really defined this market. I mean, granted, Canadian companies, so you and I are both biased here. But what they did was came up with a great form factor, but and then also built the entire service themselves. Everything is BlackBerry. So they were able to come to market way ahead of everyone yeah. else. But now it's their vulnerability with these lawsuits going on where if they get shut down, it's the whole thing and you've got nowhere to go. Right. And now along comes Microsoft with the alternatives. 
that's the thing. Because it's kind of an interesting timing because you've got BlackBerry in patent, you know, infringement lawsuits right now. And they're they're losing. They're losing bad. I mean, they just made it barely last Friday when the judge said that they could keep the service running for now because there was a threat of shutting it down, as you said. Mm. But on the other hand, you've got Microsoft coming strong with their partners. You've got great devices like the Palm Trail, the 700W. You also have the iPad, the HW6515 as well, which is very close in form factor to the BlackBerry. Well, and the fact that Verizon jumped on board because they have the best network, I mean, in terms of speed. It's not necessarily the most worldwide, you know, it's a North American thing. But the speed is undeniable, and I know this oh, because, as as Richard will tell you, we you know we went on the road trip. That uh, that device got us through the eastern seaboard and well into Texas. Uh, it was on the western half and the southwestern part of of the trip that it it stopped working. But um, you know, but it was it was yeah. basically doing. We were checking e- We were receiving email, sending email, el- uploading a webcam image every five seconds, and and IMing and surfing the web and doing all that like constantly as we were on the road and without well, any with three machines. I with, mean, literally, yeah. EVDO was mobile broadband. Yeah, it was mobile it broadband. Is, yeah. The uh, the e-video specification, if some people out there don't know really what it is, it's the, as you said, it's the wireless broadband from Verizon. It is based on the CDMA standard. So unfortunately, it's strictly a North American standard because the rest of the world uses GSM. So for uh, the North American listeners out there, companies that uh, are pretty much split in two, you've got carriers like um, Verizon and Sprint. And you also have in Canada, you have TELUS and you have Bell Mobility. They all use the CDMA technology. Yeah. And then on the other side, you've got GSM, which is used by about 70% of the world, where they, uh, in, in North America, you have carriers like Rogers and uh, Fido Microcell, although I, I think they're owned by Rogers now or something like that, or by TELUS, yeah. I think, right? Yeah, TELUS bought them. But yeah. um, in, in the US, you have Singular, formerly also AT&T, and T-Mobile as well. So these are two generations of devices. So that's why when you buy a device, you need to pick the right one for the, the, the technology of your carrier. And EVDO is the, the, the wireless broadband. It's the 3G network, the third generation network that gives you uh, super fast speeds on a CDMA network. I mean, just to give you an idea, because I know a lot of people are doubtful about this. The maximum theoretical speed of EVDO is two megabits per yeah. second. I mean, this is DSL. Like fast, fast DSL. That's two times. That's and, that's more than a T1. And if, yeah, of course. And uh, T1 is 1.5. Right. And and then, of course, that's theoretical speed. The measured speed. I use benchmark tools all the time to check my connection wherever I am with a full signal. When I'm using my, um, my Kyocera like 650 card from Verizon for EVDO on my tablet PC or on my laptop, I always get a measured speed between... 500 to 800 that's plus incredible. kilobits per yeah. second. And that's the thing that I really like about EVDO is we've actually tried it. It works. You know, we've had that experience. And I have not, you know, the, the GSM world, they have UMTS. I have not had the experience of UMTS and actually feeling like I had real bandwidth at my disposal in my mobile device. GPRS and, uh, and you know, the intermediary slower services they worked everywhere on the road trip, but they just were not that fast. And they were, they were challenged. You know, you can get down to 1K a second transfer rates. You're in hell. It's just, yeah. it's just fast enough that it may work, but every so often it dies. They also didn't hand off to each other very well, the GSM things. Yeah, yeah. that's true. One of the interesting experiences we had on the road trip was that because we had so many GSM devices, we learned the truth. We learned those dead spots. I remember in, in, Houston, we drove through the same chunk of highway at least four times, and all four times, every GSM device in the truck disconnected at exactly the same moment. Yeah. Yep. You just drove through the black hole. Boom. Everybody's off. And the thing is, these these cards and these uh, e-video connections you can get on your computers, they, they, they can be used for a lot of different things. For example... I'm a consultant. I go to work on site a lot of clients. I mean, for example, just last Saturday, I was at the New York City Code Camp, and this was at the Microsoft office here in Manhattan. And 
every time I speak there, whether it's for a user group or every time I do training there as well, unfortunately, I don't have access to the internet, uh, to the internet there. They don't have like Wi-Fi access for the public. Yeah. It's funny how Microsoft doesn't have that. I know. <laughs> and, but every time I go there, if I want to show something on the internet, if I need to use a web service or whatever, I got my e-video card with me. Yep. And I get full internet access. Or, for example, um, a lot of my clients are in financial services. Infusion deals a lot with, you know, investment banks and some of the largest financial institutions in the, in the country. And, um, over there, the network is like really, really tight. Don't even dare trying to connect your, your, your own, lo- you know, laptop or tablet PC to their network. So, if I work there, I have to use their computer, which is a very tight environment. I can't install any, anything on it. I'm not admin on the box. Or if I want to use my laptop, I'm dead in the water. I don't have internet. So what I do, I just run my A-video connection from there. And I've got access to every, everything. I mean, just last year, I spent uh, about five months, like virtually full-time on site at such a client. And I had three of my guys from Fusion working with me over there as well. And what we did is we actually, my tablet PC was the main computer with the e-video card. Since we were deep in the building, I had a little booster antenna to get a better signal and to get a better speeds. And then we set up a Wi-Fi hub just for our own little network, which was secure and not connected to their network. Right. So we were not compromising any security here, but we were just using a small Wi-Fi hub so my three other colleagues could use my e-video connection yeah. and get access to resources from their own laptops, from stuff that's not available on the main network of the well, company. Well, Nick, I, I want to talk about now about the uh, the features of uh, Windows Mobile 5.0 for Pocket BC and smartphone. But before we do, got to remind the listeners that you're listening to .NET Rocks, the original .NET podcast. Online at www.dotnetrocks.com. And this portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Data Dynamics, makers of ActiveReports.net. Simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for .NET applications. And you know, Data Dynamics has been supporting us longer than any other sponsor. And we absolutely love their stuff. So please make sure and visit their website at www.datadynamics.com and uh, tell them thanks for supporting .NET Rocks. And we're back with Nick Landry talking about mobility, Windows Mobile 5.0 SDK and Compact Framework 2.0. We just got done talking about the devices and how cool they are and why mobility is really important. And now we're going to dig into some of the features of the new mobile platform, the Windows Mobile 5.0 platform in the SDK and what you can do with .NET. So. Okay. So what do you want to know? (laughs) (laughs) Where do we start? I'm not going to give you a whole list of features. That's going to be boring as hell. (laughs) Well, you know, let's assume that the listeners already are familiar with developing for, you know, the Pocket PC with the Compact Framework 1.0 and .NET 1.1. Let's uh, yep. let's talk about the uh, the new features. What's new, and why do we why do we care about the new stuff? Okay. Um, well, let's cover Compact Framework uh, 2.0 first. There's okay. um, as you know, Compact Framework, there was a lot of features that were missing from .NET to the Compact Framework because of three reasons. Either there was an underlying server, service that did not exist in Windows CE, either because um, that service simply did not make sense in there. Like, for example, all the ASP.NET server stuff doesn't make sense on a device because you're not going to host a web application on your device. You're just going to be a client for it. And then the third reason, of course, is because sometimes... Um, that certain piece, like, for example, generic serialization or remoting, uh, while it was technologically possible to actually run it on a device, the footprint for the, the, the code base and also the processing power required was just way too high or the memory as well. So it was a conscious decision to pull it out saying, like, you know what, it's just uh, way too big. Okay. So when moving from 1.0 to 2.0, there's a lot of great things we got back. So... One of the things I want to mention, first of all, is about security. We usually keep security as an afterthought, but I don't. Security is one of my my specialties, and I think it's very important. I do a lot of education on security, both for desktop, enterprise, and devices. And Compact Framework 2 finally got the whole 
well, almost the whole uh, system.security.cryptography namespace back. Wow, cool. So before we did not have cryptography, now we have it. And of course, since it's based on standards and based on the, the common classes we have in .NET, you can encrypt something on a server and decrypt it on a device and vice versa. You've got the same hashing algorithms. You've got uh, symmetric and asymmetric encryption included in there, uh, digit digital signatures, certificates. So yes, it's definitely a great namespace to have back. Another one of the big features that we're getting back is um, com interop because com does exist on Windows CE devices and Windows mobile yeah. devices. And uh, let's say that you built your own com components with embedded Visual C++ before, or if you use like common components in Windows C that use com before you, you really didn't have a direct way of communicating with them from compact framework because there was no com interop way of stepping outside of the managed code and to go into the native environment. You, the only way you could do it, you was using platform invoke to call a DLL and then you had to write a static DLL wrapper in C++ around your com component right. and then call it from P invoke. Yeah. It was very awkward, definitely not productive. And now we finally have a way to call com components from .NET. Cool. It's one way only though. You cannot have a com component that will call a compact framework component. Wow. That's pretty cool. That's big. The, uh, a lot of namespaces have been extended as well. Uh, the ADO.NET namespace now has about 88% of the functionality of the full framework. Huh. So things like uh, type data sets, which were not possible before, now we have them again. Wow. You also have that Compact Framework 2.0 is also tightly bound with Visual Studio 2005, where you have an awesome set of tools in there as well. So you've got emulators, you've got uh, the new database tools as well that we've been taking for granted in previous versions of Visual Studio. We didn't have them with Compact Framework 1. Now we finally have the data tools uh, so we can just do some drag and drop to add like uh, tables and data adapters and, th and things like that. So the developer experience on Mobile 5 is a lot better than it was uh, in the previous versions. The developer experience in Visual Studio 2005 with Compact Framework 2 is a lot better, yes. Nick, uh, serialization, we have that now, right? We have XML serialization. We don't have uh, generic serialization. We don't have b the binary formatter? No. You can't, you can't do generic serialization and just have a class flagged as serializable with using an attribute. Uh, you can't just take that and serialize it in um, using generic serialization. You can only do it with the XML serializer in system.xml. Okay. But it's a good thing because before we didn't have the serializer at all. XML serializer is something that was added. Right. Okay, so um, we also have a lot of new uh, Windows Forms controls that have okay. been added in there. So we've got stuff like the date time picker, you mm -hmm. know, in there. We also have the document list, which is, you know, the whole like directory view, like folder view that you can see in the file explorer. That's now a full control you can access in your application. Ah, cool. Uh, a cool one as well, because there's also some um, some controls that did not exist in the, the full framework, but that are very um, common for devices that they've added, like the notification bubble. Okay. So you know that little bubble that pops open, like every time you, maybe you get an email or your battery's low or there's some kind of alert right. that your system needs to give you? Well, if you want to write an application that will you know give these such alerts to, uh, to, to the user, you can actually integrate them in there. It's already baked in a compact framework. Um, you can also build user controls uh, now. It's a lot easier than before because before you had to do it with code only. There was no designer support. Now, if you want to write uh, custom controls in there, you can do it. Um, performance is also amazingly better in Compact Framework 2. I mean, we're talking about orders of magnitude here. Things on uh, garbage collect collection or XML or rating data or uh, math or just method calls. We're talking about improvements of 100 and 200 percent. Really? So you would you wouldn't feel uh, hesitant about consuming web services anymore? Because I knew you uh, were before. Well, at least the XML serializer that we have now is a lot faster than it used to be. I think it's like 30 or 40 percent faster now. Okay. And um, and of course you have to pair that with the actual bandwidth you're going to have access to. So if you have a scenario where you use EVDO, then yes, of course, I'm not going to be as shy as I was before with making a web service call that's going to have a huge XML overhead. Right. Because I'm not using like 1X or GPRS here. I'd be using EVDO. And of course, if you're using Wi-Fi, you're, 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 you're good to go. 
Yeah, Wi-Fi has always been like a no-brainer when it comes to connectivity because the same rules as, you know, you would apply to laptops or tablet PCs would apply to a device. And people might wonder, like, when would you have Wi-Fi? Well, you get a lot more hotspots now all over the place. And mobility is not just about users out on the road. Mobility is also about users that might be in the enterprise or in the, the, the premises of your company, but not necessarily sitting at a desk. Yeah, so warehouse around. scenarios. Yeah, like warehouses, uh, messengers in a company. Doctors, nurses, waitresses. Yes. I mean, there's there's lots of uh, applications. Yeah, and a lot of people think that, you know, you can't have Wi-Fi in hospitals. There's actually quite a few hospitals and medical centers out there that already use Wi-Fi. And everything has been certified so that it doesn't interfere with medical equipment. And it's kind of part of the future now that you cannot expect to always have this controlled environment where uh, no other device is allowed near the the, the, the hospital or whatever right. for fear of interfering with something. They now have new standards to make to make sure that they can play together. Right. It's going to be the same thing with airplanes as well. Yeah, I heard that. I heard that uh, some some airplane, some airlines are allowing cell phones. Yeah, well, cell phones, but also like some have uh, Wi-Fi in a plane, like uh, Lufthansa, Very cool. the German airline. They have uh, Wi-Fi on their, on their flights now. So that's, uh, that's something that's pretty cool, and hopefully it's going to catch on with the, uh, the American uh, carriers as well. The ones that are left. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> They're eating each yeah. other over here. Besides just mo- uh, traditional mobile, Nick, uh, why don't we talk a little bit about tablet PC as well? Because I know you're a fan, and I've been resisting oh, yeah. buying a tablet PC. Uh, I love my that. tablet. I, I, just, I just wonder how well the product line is doing, that we're seeing new incarnations, the, the rate of new machines it seems to have slowed down a lot. Well, yeah, tablet PCs are also, you have to understand the new name. You know, Microsoft, they love to change names on us all the time. Yeah. Um, we're not really supposed to say tablet PC anymore. The, uh, the, the new uh, moniker for such devices is now called a mobile PC. And it might sound strange, but uh, it's actually very well justified. The future is in devices that will have the tablet feature. So the notion of a device that's a pure notebook or a device that's a tablet PC is kind of going to disappear starting with the Vista time frame. Really? Yeah, because what we're going to see is right now, you're, you've already seen convertible tablet PCs before, right? You know, right, those yeah. that are like laptops, you can flip the screen around and use it in tablet mode. Well, this is a big part of the future, whereas most of the laptops and notebooks that will be developed and, and sold in the coming years will always have the tablet feature built in. Okay. It's going to be like a feature that you expect to have in there. And uh, those manufacturers that will not get on the bandwagon and ignore a tablet feature will actually be at a severe disadvantage. Huh. Like, so you're uh, thinking uh, here is that the convertible will become the norm. There won't be any laptops that don't have that feature. Because right now, we're paying a fairly serious premium for the convertible, not only in terms of cost, but they're not that high performing. Yeah, that's the, the right. The top line machines are not convertibles. Well, their focus has been on the ability to carry them around and and right. use them while you're carrying them. And, you know, that that doesn't lend itself to some of the laptops. Like my XPS Gen 2 would not work as a tablet. It's just too freaking big. Sure. But then again, you might also just may not, may not carry it around with you, but you can also set it on a desk and take notes. You don't well, have to walk around, you know. But isn't, on, that the, uh, isn't that the lure of the tablet PC that you can hold it like a tablet and carry it around and, and use it uh, out, you know, you know, wherever you're using it? Uh, definitely. But very often, I mean, you're going to go to a meeting. That's what I do. Most of the time that I use my tablet, I just bring it with me to a meeting and I set it on a table. And while people are using a notebook, I'm using my tablet to take notes. So at this point, I'm not standing up. (laughs) All right, Nick, but (laughs) help me out here, Richard. This doesn't make sense to me. Well, (laughs) I see there's three mobile critters to talk about. I mean, one is uh, what you're talking about, Carl, which is the really what I think was best served by a lightweight slate, something yeah. I can actually walk around with. That's a bigger screen. And the other uh, concept is uh, your your general use uh, mobile PC, your email PC, and and, right. and those sorts of things. And then you get into you know why we carry our tanks, which is I need a portable workstation. Right. I need something yeah. to do my big demos, run my VPCs. It needs to have just as much horsepower as my machine at home, but it can be transported. Right. So I was talking about the first the first thing that Richard talked about, which is, you know, the, the ability to hold it like a clipboard, not too heavy, and 
so you're you're saying that you think that these kinds of PCs will just sort of be phased out. Well, not. I mean, will every notebook have the tablet feature? Of course not. There's still going to be like more specialized ones, like as you said, the XPS, or like I don't see um, any uh, Alienware laptops having the tablet feature anytime soon. Mm. But definitely a majority of the standard notebooks that everybody uses on in everyday life, where with a lot of power at hand, even some of them being desktop replacements, will have the tablet feature. Okay. And it's not just me speaking here. This is the whole Microsoft Mobile Platforms division. I hear you. I, yeah, I so, wasn't. I wasn't thinking you were just making it up. No, I. I no, I was just uh, uh, like a few <laughs> a few weeks ago. I was at a at a partner briefing for all the the mobile PC and tablet PC partners, and this is where they they unveil their new strategy and explain where they're going with this. Very interesting. So, the tablet PC is definitely um, tablet PC, mobile PC. You know, it's definitely the the, the platform of the future when it comes to notebook computing. Uh, the features will be built in. If you haven't tried a tablet PC yet, um, you already get a lot of good advantages today, but prepare for Vista. You will be blown away. Great. I can't wait. Because first of all, the fact that the ink recognizer we have today, which is really intelligent. I mean, this whole thing is based on neural nets and, and probability tables and everything. I mean, it's really advanced. We're talking about major research stuff here. But yet the recognizer we have today is, is just a stock recognizer. You cannot train it. And it doesn't learn from you either. So you can, if you, if your P's look like F's or vice versa, stuff like that, uh, it's always going to make the same mistake over and over. With Vista, as you correct the system, and it, if it gives you like the top word that it thinks it is, and you say, actually, you know what? It's the second one. It's not an F, mm. it's a P. You know? Uh, in that case, you will have the system learning and understanding how you write things. And it's going to go like, oh, so this is how you write yeah. your R's, you know, or your V's. The, the way I do my V's, I mean, every time I type active Nick, it always comes out, comes out as actor Nick because mm. it thinks my V is an R. Right. But very soon with Vista, it's not going to think that. So it learns better is what you're saying. It learns better. It's going to be Avalon. You probably know this. Avalon is, is as ink built in. Ink support is built in in Avalon. It's not an add-on. Wow. So for Windows Presentation Foundation, you already have some special ink tags and the canvas model in there, and the features are built in so that you can write ink-enabled Windows Presentation Foundation applications. And you're going to have a new SDK with a whole new managed classes in .NET. Like, for example, um, a list box that is ink-aware so that you fill it just like a regular list box today. But if you use a tablet PC and a pen, and let's say that I just uh, write um, FR directly on the list box, it automatically will recognize like FR and it might jump directly in the list to Franklin. Yeah. You don't have to type in and could program that functionality in there. That's, a, that's one thing I wish that the uh, Pocket PC did better is, you know how when you're typing something and it, and it, it comes up with suggestions, word suggestions, so yep. you can just click them? So, you know, I have uh, my, my company name, Franklin's Net, or Fra anytime I'm typing Franklin, it's, uh, it always suggests Franklin Park. And, it, and the <laughs> first time that I didn't select Franklin Park and I chose to do Franklin's Net, you know, I've done that now like millions of times. It should, should figure that out. But I guess, right. uh, you know, I guess that with the limited memory and, and processing power that you have in that thing... You know, it has to reserve that for, you know, the stuff that really matters, well, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's a trade-off between memory and CPU. It's just like the reason why pen computing that was tried out in early in the 90s failed. Yeah. We just didn't have the CPU power back then. So it's just going to come. Because right now, there's, there's no notion of a, of a custom dictionary right now on mobile yeah. devices. So the day you'll be able to say, like, oh, that word added to my dictionary then it will start recognizing it. Like, for example, um, the first time I used my tablet PC to write my girlfriend's name, uh, she's Indian. So needless to say, her first name was not in the, in the dictionary. Right. So it, it gave me some weird like suggestion. But I just added it right away. And every time after that, I write her first name. Uh, it, it's identified right away. And it's, it's going to come as well. So, Nick, uh, tell us about your big, bald blog, man. 
<laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I started blogging last year. I took a bit of a break, but now I'm back, you know, with a vengeance and uh, with bells on. And I'm definitely uh, trying to, to stay more current on my blog. So it's um, activenick.infusionblogs.com. It's called Activenick's uh, Big Bald Blog. So anyone who's seen a picture of me understands the title. What, uh, what kinds of stuff do you talk about and how often do you post? I... I talk about a lot of stuff in there. Um, I, I cover mainly architecture and mobility, which are the, the two specialties that I have. I also have some content on security, mainly on mobility as well. Cool. But I also want to blog about more interesting stuff as well, not just like geek.net stuff. Uh, I'm a big gamer. Yeah. So I've got my Xbox 360. I love it. I play it. And... On my blog right there, you've got my Xbox Live gamer tag and my uh, my card is there so that you can see my current score on Xbox Live is there. I'm going to blog about Xbox games as well. And uh, I also, one series that I'm pretty uh, uh, interested in continuing, I just started it recently. It's called Mobile Lifestyle. Okay. Where I have, it's a whole post where I, I give you the ingredients for the scenario I'm talking here. So you need that kind of connection, that kind of device and that kind of software and here's what you can do with it. Because a lot of people know about one device or another or another, but then they don't really add them up together to see the functionality. So one post that I just uh, added last week is called uh, Mobile Lifestyle on uh, slinging the Olympics, where I am using my tablet PC with my e-video card and unlimited internet with this, and I'm using my sling box at home to actually sling the video feed from my cable box onto the internet using Verizon Wireless and watching TV anywhere I want on my tablet PC. You're too cool, man. And it's it's really cool. I mean, I show it to everyone and already I got like five people at my office at Infusion that want to buy one. Two of them already got it. And uh, also the cool thing is they have announced that they will have a mobile client for Windows mobile devices, including the Trail. And by the way, I have seen it work. Cool. That's that's all I'm allowed to say for now. I have seen it work and it completely blew my mind. All right, Nick, where are we going to where can somebody go and see Active Nick in action? There's a lot of uh, different places where people can come and uh, see me. I've, I'm right now uh, in the middle of what I call ActiveNick's North American .NET User Group and CodeCamp Tour 2006. So I was just <laughs> <laughs> I just did uh, the CodeCamp in Toronto in uh, January. Last weekend, I did the New York City Code Camp here with our friends uh, Andrew Bruss and Stephen Forte and Bill Zach and yeah. uh, and Peter RDE in, uh, in New York. This Tuesday, so today when the show is being published, I'm speaking at the IASA New York. This is the International Association of Software Architects. I'm speaking at the user group here in Manhattan at the Microsoft office on building architectures for mobility. Then the next stop is going to be at uh, the Bay.net user group in San Francisco on March 8th, where I will be speaking. I'll be doing a crash course on developing mobility solutions. So this is a session on for developers that do .NET today, but they don't know anything about mobility, except maybe for what they learn on .NET Rocks. And then they want to learn more and see how can I build applications for this. The awesome. same session I will do at the Philly.net user group on uh, March 15th, at the New York City.net developers group on March 16th, at the Northern New Jersey.net user group in Parsippany on April 11th, and of course, at Dev Connections in Orlando, beautiful Orlando, yeah. in, um, in April. April. So I will Is be it the week giving- before that uh, talk in New Jersey. Yeah, which is a week before that talk in New Jersey. So I will be there for that. Yeah, because the show in Orlando, the exact dates uh, are April 2 to 5, yep. 2006, at the beautiful uh, Hyatt Regency Grand Cyprus in Orlando. And we'll be there. Then uh, I'm very happy and proud to say that I will be giving no less than three sessions at MEDC in Las Vegas on um, May 11th, uh, 8th through 11th. So, which is why I won't be at DevTeach. So for all the uh, the Montreal listeners out there that are used to see me at DevTeach, I won't be there this year because I'm going to MEDC. Yeah, I'm sorry to say I'm not going to be at DevTeach either because uh, of uh, I, I need to be home as much as possible to take care of my wife whose foot is still in a cast. 
Oh, but anyway. However, I will be at DevTeach this year, having missed missed last year. So come see me. All right, good for you, man. Yeah, yeah. You, I you love can, Montreal. You can fill in. You can fill in for both of us. I'm sure. You bet. So <laughs> I, I'm doing three talks on mobility, both tablets, smartphone deployment, and also on MapPoint and virtual Earth development with mobile devices at MEDC. All right. For those of you, to, uh, for the listeners that don't know what MEDC is, this is the uh, Mobile and Embedded Developers Conference. This is a Microsoft show, think tech ed, but for mobile developers. So about 3,000 people in Las Vegas at the Venetian. And of course, uh, the big announcement is that Dev Connections is adding a new show yeah. this fall in Las Vegas. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be called um, Mobility Connections, or I think it's Mobility Developer Connections. And I was invited by Shirley to be the, the conference chair for yep. this show. And it's going to be running alongside all the other ones, ASP.NET, Visual Studio, SQL Server, Windows, and Exchange. And we're going to have two tracks for developers on building applications for mobile and tablet PC and also for uh, mobile devices using Compact Framework and uh, other mobile technologies like Windows Mobile 5 and ESDK. I am so jazzed about this one. Yeah, Nick, that's awesome. We I can't wait for that. And congratulations on that. Thank you very much. All right. Well, listen, we're running out of time here, so we're going to wrap it up by saying, Nick, thank you very much for coming on the show and uh, updating us on the mobility story. It certainly Always is Always awesome. a pleasure, man. Always a pleasure. All right. And good luck. And we'll see you in April and obviously in the fall, too. Thanks again. .NET Rocks can be found online at www.dotnetrocks.com and at msdn.microsoft.com slash dotnetrocks. .NET Rocks is edited each week by Jeff Maciolik, that's me, and Carl Franklin, who is also executive producer. All music heard on .NET Rocks, including Toy Boy, the theme song, is created and produced by Carl Franklin and Franklin Brothers Band. Carl never sleeps. .NET Rocks is produced for Franklin's Net by Plop Productions, providing professional audio and podcasting services online at www.pwop.com. Plop, it's time to get your impact back. Toy Boy!